0: Annabelle, you've been at G2 for a little while.
1: Yeah, about four and a half years, I Four and a half. Something Something, like that.
0: Something like you were a student with us. Yeah. And then now you work uh, for CAP. Yes. So we're going to hear a bit more about that. Um, But also you're part of the six. So not everyone will will know that uh, G2 City, uh, (laughs) as it is, of course, (laughs) called, um, (laughs) which meets at six... That is true. uh, ...o'clock... And so just tell us, so not everyone here will know that there is another uh, G2 because here we are at, at G2 Home, <laughs> which meets at 3.45. Um, so tell us a bit about where that is and what it looks like. Yeah,
1: so G2 City meets in the centre of York at the Central Methodist Church in their hall. Uh, we meet at 6 Um, and we, it's it's very similar in sort of our DNA is still G 2 it. We're still there to help people discover and follow Jesus, but it just looks a little bit different in general. We've got quite a few students and, uh, not no kids because it's not the right time for them, but a growing age group of sort of people who have, their kids have gone off, um, and left home and we're, yeah, really enjoying getting to build that community there as well.
0: Great. That's brilliant. And, um, one of the things that we love at G2 uh, is raising leaders and helping people develop in different gifts and having different opportunities. And uh, Annabel's definitely one of those people who've, right from when you were a fresher that was happening and we there's lots of different opportunities to lead in different ways and Annabelle's a fantastic leader and is now doing that in her job at CAP as well so it'd be brilliant to hear more about that shall I pray and then uh, we'll hand over to you uh, God would you help us to hear from you as we listen in uh, to what Annabelle has to say uh, we want to be alert and awake to what you have to say um, as she's speaking to us amen
1: amen thanks Luke. So Christians Against Poverty started 22 years ago with a £10 donation and a big faith. You'll see a picture of Cap's founder, John, who by 1996, I was only one years old at this point, but he'd already been in debt. He was scared looks in the congregation there. Um, he'd already been in debt, lost his home and his marriage because of it. He'd found Jesus through the compassion of the local church and then two weeks into his new marriage decided to quit his job and give up everything he had so that he could follow what Jesus was saying to him, which was to help the poor and the people who were in need. Courageously obedient and moved by his compassion to a high level of generosity. He started using what he had, which was his home, a background in the finance industry and a pretty unreliable computer. And him and his wife, Lizzie, opened up their home so that the few families that they were able to meet with, they could help them deal with their debts and walk them out into being debt-free. It was costly. For about a decade, they and the people that joined them didn't get paid in full and pretty much never on time either. But As our volunteers who work in local churches today will tell you, it was worth it to see each person that became a Christian because of it, and to see each family's life change when they got out of debt. But why am I telling you this story about CAP's beginning? What does it mean for us today? Well, today we're going to look not only at who CAP are and what we're doing, but what it means for us to be a generously compassionate church, what it looks like for our Uh, compassion to lead us into giving out to the people who need it the most and it comes with a little bit of a health warning that it might push us a little bit beyond our comfort zones it might move us into something that we're not quite used to yet but we'll come back to that first let me introduce you to Stuart who following an accident was left severely immobile and unable to work debts mounted snatching Stuart's hope and leaving him searching through supermarket bins for food. At his absolute lowest, he was on the brink of suicide. And we're going to hear some of Stuart's story now.
2: You can see it happening, you can see the water rising, you can see the, the depth you're in. You know, trying to tread water, but there's nobody there, nobody there. I tried. Refinancing, remortgaging, that, that's where the debt started. I had uh, an accident and I slept two discs in my vertebrae. So then I wasn't able to work. I was uh, diagnosed with degenerative disc disorder, number four and five, which means my two discs at the bottom just totally disintegrated. I used to have a bed downstairs because obviously I couldn't walk. I'd turn myself on my side, bring my knees to my chest fall onto the floor, crawl into the downstairs toilet, get myself up that way. it took me about half an hour to go three or four meters. You go to bed at night crying, praying you don't wake up because you can't cope no more. You're not eating food, you're eating dog food. You know, you're scraping the bins at the back of Tesco's to try and find something to eat because you've got nothing. I found it very easily to consider suicide, but it was a form of my children. That was the only thing that brought me back from that despair. I can't leave my children without a dad. You can see it happening. You can see
1: Slight technical issue. What happens, and sadly we've missed the positive end of Stuart's story, but fortunately that's the fun bit for me to get to tell you, so we won't worry. Um, So what happened is Stuart called up CAP and a volunteer from the local church who run a debt centre were able to come round and see him. They met him in his home and got together all of his paperwork, sent that off to head office where I work, and we were able to provide him a solution out of debt, so he's no longer in debt. But what also happened, which I think is amazing, is on that first visit, they offered to pray for him. and um, They just said, like, you've got a lot of health issues going on. You're clearly in a lot of pain. Do you mind if we pray for you? And um, Stuart wasn't a Christian. He didn't, hadn't really had someone pray for him before. Three days later, uh, he was in bed, and he got up and went to the bathroom, in the same way that he said he wasn't able to because he had to fall out of bed and crawl over there. Three days later, he just got up in the middle of the night, went to the bathroom with no help, and realised that he'd been healed. Not completely, but he was out of a lot of pain. He was able to move by himself. Um, And that moment, that moment of healing for him, turned him round into believing in Jesus. Um, And he's now uh, started coming to church. um, When he was in debt, he ended up homeless and on the street for a while, and he's got into social housing. Um, and now he's able to rebuild his life up again because of the help and because he's been able to find Jesus as well, and the, just through what the local church were doing. Right now, 14 million people in our nation, like Stuart, are living in poverty. Up to 8.3 million people in the UK are unable to pay off debts or household bills. Poverty arrives sometimes unexpectedly, like it did for Stuart. But when it sets in, it can be like an illness in the family, setting you into fight mode for a a battle you just probably can't win. In a society where a lot of the time we live behind closed doors, it might not always be that visible. But thousands are unable to feed their children. They're not able to put heating on their meters and heat their homes in winter. The grip of poverty is often relentless. It can break families apart and drive many, like Stuart, to think that suicide is the only option. And when we see those situations, it's really easy for us to feel hopeless, to feel helpless, to think that whatever we can do and whatever we can give just isn't going to be enough. There are parallels between that feeling that we have, between the beginnings of CAP, and the small amount of uh, resources and time that John, who started it, had. And a conversation between Jesus and some of his closest followers in uh, one of the accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection called Mark. In that story, they watch as rich people make a show of giving large amounts of money to the temple, which is their church. They're making a point that they're throwing in loads and loads, and then... Along comes a poor widow who puts in just a few pennies. Jesus' response is to say, Truly, I tell you, the poor widow has put in more to the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything. All she had to live on. Jesus notices exactly what the widow gives. And has compassion for what it costs her. He's not looking at the amount, at the huge volume that's going in, but he notices that even though her gift is small, it costs her a lot, and he still values it. It's not always about what we've got to give, but about our willingness to give it and to trust that God can do something with that and do even more than we think. Stuart's story and how his life turned around and... About And John's story of where CAP's grown to now, which I'll tell you more about in a minute, shows us just what that can do. So 22 years after John started CAP, fuelled by uh, compassion for people who were in need, CAP's grown into something beyond what he could have thought at that time. We're regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and we're recognised as the best place for the most vulnerable to go and get support because volunteers from local churches go into people's homes. They walk them through each step of the process and they get to invite them into the community that church brings at the same time. But we know that debt isn't the only cause or consequence of poverty. Long-term poverty is compounded by generational unemployment, of generation after generation not getting into work because they haven't seen anybody else get into work first, of people who aren't able to get the skills to manage living on a tight budget and the people whose life-controlling habits like alcohol or drugs or gambling make the living on a tight budget even harder. More than just the advice, we get to uh, run job clubs which help people get into employment. We get to help people learn the skills that they need to manage on a tight budget. And our Fresh Start groups give people the skills they need to manage, those controlling habits that have been making life so much harder for them. So here are the stats. More than 23,000 people every year find help through the services that Cat run. A lot of those are clients who are figuring out their debt, uh, but 2,500 of them become debt-free each year. In our job clubs, last year, 805 people found work which is about 38% of the attendees who on average have been out of work for 52 months. And 600 people get help through our slightly newer life skills and fresh start groups. So that's helping them manage on a budget, helping them uh, control those habits that have been making their life more difficult. And arguably, even better than those stats, about 1,000 individuals each year make a response to Jesus, which is great. But the reality is none of that would be happening if John hadn't decided to take a risk and fueled by his compassion, be generous with what he was doing. Behind all of those stats is one person who's decided that they want to give regularly to CAP each month. We call them life changers because that's what you're doing. And it's a, behind that is a church that's decided to open up its doors wider, to give its time, its money, its resources to be able to welcome in the poorest and those most in need. And what's brilliant, GT, is that we already know that this is what church is for. Because when I talk about what CAP does, really I'm talking about the local church. Because none of those services work if someone hasn't been willing to take the time to do it. And none of it happens if no one's willing to give some money into what's going on. But... When we look at G.T. Burnholm's vision, we can already see that we know church is the center of where that's meant to be going on. I know you had a Sunday looking at your vision before, so just read out again. G.T. Burnholm is a church that seeks God's transformation of local communities through the message of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, who speaks today and brings healing, wholeness, and even miracles. We value being creative, taking risks, and trying new ideas in how we do church. We are a family of children, youth, students, and adults of all ages, where everyone can belong and be invited. Unsurprisingly, this parallels with the Bible. On Vision Sunday, Hannah talked through the moment where Jesus declares that his time on earth fulfills the following passages from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. It's no coincidence that Jesus puts proclaiming good news to the poor and setting the oppressed free at the very centre of his first declaration. And as followers of Jesus, our role is to continue what he started. If we want to see communities transformed, to see the oppressed set free, to see our family look a little more diverse, it's going to need us to get creative, to take some risks, and to give generously of ourselves. The reality is that we can't do this without giving. And if our generosity isn't fueled by compassion, it's not gonna be sustainable or genuine. So let's go back to basics. Why are we generous to those, towards those in poverty? The words poor and poverty appear in the Bible about 400 times depending on your translation. So let's look at what the Bible has to say. God commands us to help those in need. God commands his people to care for those in need among them countless times. It's often in the form of caring for the widow, the orphan, or people who are uh, from different countries, because in their communities, those are the people that weren't able to provide for themselves. There are a few different verses which I'll read. In Isaiah, God says, Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. In Proverbs, he says, it says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. And in Isaiah, it says, To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free. To break every yoke. To share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and bread. It's pretty clear that God wants to help those in need, that he cares for them and that he wants us to join in with that. When these commands were given, it was pretty radical that a community would remember to look after the people who couldn't really give back to it. And today... It probably shouldn't be, but it's not hard to see in the media where we demonize people as benefit scroungers or young people as hoodies and foreigners as migrants that are coming to steal our jobs. As if they aren't equally valued, equally loved, equally handmade by a loving father. But if we only give because we've been told to, if we're only doing it because we feel like being God's saying we should, then we're missing the point. The Bible even says each one of us has got to give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion because God loves a cheerful giver. And if we only give because we've been told to, then it's going to be hard for it not to be reluctant or because we feel like we have to. The second reason is that God will help those who look after the poor. Because God cares about those in need, he promises to be with those who help them. I'm going to read a few more verses. So, Proverbs says, Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. In Isaiah, following the verse about uh, setting the oppressed free and breaking the yoke of oppression, God says, Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here I am. And in Luke 14, Jesus is at a banquet, and he tells the host that when you give a dinner party, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, hear me well, I'm not saying this is like the slot machine gospel where we put in a bit of good and we wait and hope that Jesus is going to give out and bless us. But when we give to those in need, God sees that and it makes him happy because he cares about them as well. When he sees that our hearts are in line with his heart of compassion for them, it honors him. And in the story of God's people, we see time and time again how he shows up and gets behind people who are doing what his will is. And I think a lot of the time, the reward is probably just the people that you get to meet from doing it, the lives you get to see changed and what you can learn as part of it. The third and most important reason is that we give because we've got compassion, because we've got God's heart for the poor, for the people that he cares about. We can give just because God's told us to. We can give just because we hope that he gives us something back. But if we do, we'll probably miss the point, and it probably won't last. In John, in 1 John, the Bible says, If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, there's no pity on them. How can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. It's about giving with love. And if it's not got love involved, then it's probably not what we're meant to be doing. There's a passage in Matthew where Jesus is talking um, to his followers, and he says that whenever you've uh, fed the hungry or clothed those in need or gone and visited people in prison, that you're doing that for him, that it's like he's in those people. The point is that we give out of love and compassion, that when we realize the value that God has in us, that he sees in us, that we see that in others and we can't help but show that to them as well, to invite them in. When we, if we were going to see one of each other in need on the streets, we'd want to help. And it's about extending that vision wider to the people that we don't know yet, but that God cares about just as much. So what does this look like? How are we going to be compassionately generous? There are some examples in there, but it might not be as easy to do as it says in the passages today. What does it look like for us now to loose the chains of injustice and set the oppressed free? What does it look like now for us to clothe the people who don't have clothes, to feed the hungry, to invite in strangers to care for the sick and to visit prisoners? What does it look like now for us to throw dinner parties for the poor, crippled, lame, and blind? What does it look like to take the little that we have and give it to God? What does it look like to live out our vision? We're going to take some time to respond to it now. So for some of you, this might look like giving financially to CAP. What we do only happens because there's 29,000 Christians that are giving in who have said yes to playing their part. On average, they give about £12 each month. But just £5 a month means that we can help one more person, that we can take a call from one more person who needs help. We call, as I said, we call them life-changers because that's exactly what they're doing. And if that's what you're going to do today, then thank you. There are instructions about how to give online on the screen, or in a minute, you can come and find me at the table at the back. Some of you might wanna find out more about what it looks like to run a life skills, or job club. There's a debt center that runs out of Burnhome and they also run a life skills group. So I'm sure that if you'd like to get involved with that, we can let them know and find out how that's gonna work. If you'd like some more information about what it looks like practically to run some of those things, then again, come and find me at the back. For some of you, it's not gonna involve capital and that's great. Because what matters is that the church is responding to the need around them. So for you guys, there's post-it notes at the other table at the back of the room. And what you're going to do is write down something that you're going to do this week, an act of compassion, a way you can give generously to the poor in your community. Does that look like putting something in the food bank box? Could it be talking to a homeless person you normally walk past? Does it mean getting to know some of the neighbors that you might not know yet? So to recap, that's three things. You can give to CAP, you can come and find me and chat about what it looks like to get involved with CAP, or you can write down on the post-it note what you're going to do this week that shows compassion to the poor. Thanks, GT.